Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today we're going to start a brand new series uh, that I'm pretty excited about. It's called Principles of Change. Principles of Change. Uh, What we're not going to talk about is the loose coins in your pocket. Uh, We're not talking about that kind of change. Uh, And since it's faith day at the Rockies and I've got baseball on the brain, uh, we won't be talking about a slower pitch that is meant to throw off the batter's timing. Uh, That's a change, uh, but not this type of change. Uh, Does anybody get that change up? I thought, I I wondered, I wondered if Colorado, since the Rockies are so good, if that would really, uh, if that would hit or not. I wondered if that joke would be a home run um, or a touchdown. Uh, I just need to speak your language maybe, but uh, uh, but what we are going to talk about, so we're not going to talk about that kind of change. We're not going to talk about the loose coins in your pocket. But what we are going to talk about uh, is God's power to transform sinful behavior and negative attitudes. We're going to talk about personal uh, change. Uh, have you ever felt the gap between who Scripture says you are in Christ and then your daily experience? Uh, have you ever... Have you ever read the Apostle Paul and his declarations that because of Jesus Christ, you have been set free from the grip of sin in your life, and yet you still can't shake that habit? Uh, Or or maybe you've read, again, the Apostle Paul and his assertion that you are new in Christ. He says to his letters in the Corinthians that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. So have you ever read that assertion that you are new in Christ, but you struggle with the same old stuff? And you, say, you, you think to yourself, I'm supposed to be made new, then why is this old thing still hanging around? Uh, this series is meant to help us close the gap uh, between the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ and our daily experience, and your daily experience. Uh, it is meant to help us not just know gospel truths in our minds, but it's really meant to help us apply gospel truths to our life so that we can live into our true identity in Jesus Christ. But I gotta tell you, uh, a lot of times when we talk about change, um, we point to Jesus, as we should, but we point to Jesus simply as an example that we should follow. Uh, And and the message is that in order to live victoriously, we simply need to uh, look at the example of how Jesus lived and then go and live that way. Uh, Perhaps that uh, has been maybe the whole bulk of teaching that you've received in your life, that that Jesus was this great example and you need to go and do that. Um, I, I wonder if you've noticed that this typically is not very helpful. Um, I would love to be able to play disc golf like Paul Macbeth. I have a picture of Paul Macbeth uh, that I'd like to show you. There's Paul Macbeth. No, he is not angry. He's just throwing a Frisbee as hard as he possibly can. For those of you that don't know what disc golf is, it is like ball golf, not real golf, ball golf. Um, That was also a joke, but that's okay. You'll get it later. Uh, (laughs) Disc golf is like golf. Uh, but with a Frisbee. And the idea is to start at a, at a tee box uh, and get 
the Frisbee into a basket of chains in as few throws as possible. Uh, this is a sport that I have fallen in love with. Uh, not a hobby, a sport. Yes, it's a sport. I have to say that every time, uh, just so that everybody's clear on that. And, and in fact, there is a, pro- there is a professional, there are professional ranks of disc golfers. Uh, there, there are folks who make a living uh, disc golfing. Uh, and, and one of those is Paul Macbeth. He is, in fact, the best disc golfer in the world. This is not my opinion. This is scientific fact. Um, so Paul Macbeth is the best disc golfer in the world. He currently holds four straight. He is the four-time, four-consecutive world champion. He is the current United States champion. And he is also the highest-rated disc golfer in history. Uh, disc golfers have a rating. He is the highest rating. Yeah, I, I feel like I have to kind of explain. Uh, I, I need to use more football illustrations. Um, but anyway, disc golf. Uh, and here's what I could do. I could watch him play. I could study his mechanics. Uh, I could even persuade him to tutor me uh, and, and give me private lessons. And while this may lead to some improvement in my own game of disc golf, the truth is I will never play golf like Paul McBeth. I will never play disc golf like Paul McBeth. That is just a simple fact that I need to embrace uh, and I will, I will sleep better at night. Um, I will never do that. Uh, and I would say to you that following Jesus merely as an example will lead to similar frustration and lack of results. And some of you might be a little bit uneasy with this type of language, so let me just bring it home to you in this way. What we need is more than example for our lives. We need help. What we need is more than an example in order to truly change. We need something more than just someone to watch and to follow. What we need is the Savior of the world. You see, we need more than just something that stands out here that we are to look at and emulate. That's good, and that brings us to a certain point, and that's valuable, but it's only valuable to a point. What we need in order to really change is something to go from outside of here to inside of here. We need the Savior of the world to change us. We don't just need an example to follow. And so during this series, we are going to ask a a series of questions that will help us change. Uh, And I I believe that if you take what we're going to be talking about over the course of this series, I believe that you will change. You will see positive, good, and godly change in your life. But we're going to base it on a whole series of questions, and these questions will help you change because they will have helped you apply gospel truths at a heart level. Um, And so just for a moment, right at the very beginning of this uh, series, I I want you to take, and and literally just a moment, I want you to take a moment about what it is and think about what it is you want to change in your life. What is something that you want to change? Now, you may be tempted to be very general. Uh, I want to be a better parent. Um, I want to um, be a better boss to my employees. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, as you think about it, to, to move from generalities to specificities. So the more specific, the better. So as you think about, I want to be a better parent, what is it, what, in what realm or in what way do you want to be a better parent? 
Think about that. Is there, a, is there a sinful attitude, a habit? Is there something in your life that you've been trying to gain victory over for a long, long time? Maybe it's very obvious in your life what it is you want to change. But I want you to, I want you to think about what you want to change. In our project or our change project, the first thing we need to ask, this is the first question. The first thing we need to ask is why do I want to change? So you, you, you've thought about and you've taken a moment, you, you, you've got something specific, hopefully, uh, in your life that you want to change. Uh, you have that. The first question you have to ask if you're really going to have true and authentic and gospel-shaped and gospel-centered change is you have to ask the question, why do I want to change that? That's the foundation. Why do I want to change? Why do I want to be more like Jesus? Why do I want to keep a lid on my temper? Why do I want to overcome lust? Why do I want to hold on to less bitterness? Why do I want to overcome addiction? Why do I want to feel less anxious? Why do I not want to be angry anymore? And I would be willing to bet that if you're really honest, the answer might be one of two things. The the first answer you might come up with is, well, I want to change so that I can impress God. Now, I know we may not say that right off the bat, and, and, and I know that, that probably we, we may not be so quick to admit that. But again, if we're just really honest about the answer to the question, why do I want to change, the reality is, is that sometimes we want to change in order to impress or in order to prove ourselves to God. That, that we may be operating with this view of God. And you remember last Sunday at, at the Family Sunday, we, we talked about how, what is God like? What, how do we view God? And how do we get a handle on what God is really like? Uh, but, but when we think about it, sometimes we, we are sort of operating out of this view of God that we have to prove ourselves to him. In, in fact, sometimes we feel like that if we do prove ourselves to God, then he is then obligated to pour out his blessing on us. That, that if, we, uh, if we do certain things, if we obey, then, then God is, is somehow obligated to do certain things for us or on our behalf or bless us or protect us from certain things. And so if you have ever heard yourself say, you know, I have tried living God's way, but I'm still single, I'm still sick, I'm still lonely. Whatever it is about your life that you're trying to change or that you don't like or you wish that were different, if you've ever said, you know, I've tried doing it God's way, but this is still true about my life, then there's a pretty good chance you may be trying to change in order to just impress God or prove yourself to God in order to push God's hand that he has to, has to do something. that somehow you can earn his blessing. But here's the thing. Our change doesn't impress God. And it doesn't cause him to love us any more than he already does. You see, the reality is that God's love for you is constant, steady, and unwavering. God's love for you is constant, it is steady, and it is unwavering. In other words, there is nothing that you could do that would make God love you more, and there's nothing that you could mess up that would cause God to love you less. God's love for you is constant, 
It is steady and it is unchanging. And might I also say to you that this is, in fact, the scandal of God's grace. The scandal of God's grace is that his grace completely denies and ignores our system of acceptance that is based on right action. You and I live in a world that is literally built on a system of acceptance based on right action. If you, if you do right to me, I will do right to you. We can be brothers. We can be friends. We can talk. You do wrong to me, and then we are at war. And now we're just in a, in a power play of who is the most powerful in our lives, which, well, in our world most often leads to violence of some kind. But God's grace complete, first of all, ignores that, but then actually takes that whole system and denies it and says, God loves you regardless of anything that you have done to earn his love or regardless of anything that you have done to make him not love you any longer. That is the scandal of God's grace. God's grace is so easy for us as believers. If you're here today and you are following Jesus and uh, and you have placed your faith in him, God's grace is so easy to understand in our minds, but it is scandalous to apply in our lives. And it is scandalous to apply in our lives to other people. We might be very quick to see the benefits of grace for our own lives when it is coming from God to us, but we are not usually so quick to uh, exemplify God's grace from our life to other people. But that is, in fact, the scandal of grace. God loves you, period. Not God loves you when, God, not God loves you but, not God loves you and so, but just God loves you, period. And so a lot of times our change project is centered on, I'm trying to prove myself to God. And I want to say that in Jesus Christ, you have already been vindicated before God. He has already poured out his love for you. He has already demonstrated his tremendous love for you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And I I believe there is somebody in this sanctuary that needs to hear that. And so one of the motivations that we shouldn't be operating out of for our change project is I'm just trying to prove myself to God. The, The other thing, if we're really honest, is a lot of times our change project can be centered on this. I'm not trying to prove myself to God. Uh, I'm not trying to impress God, but this. I may be trying to impress others. I may be trying to impress other people. Have you ever uh, been in a group of people and acted a certain way because you wanted them to be impressed by you? I certainly have. I mean, if you're anything like me, you have. You walk into a room, and the first thing you want is for people to like you. You want, to be, you want for people to be impressed by you. And so you might, might take on certain uh, mannerisms, you might say certain things, you might do certain things uh, to try to, to be impressive to people. Um, and so a lot of times when it comes to this one thing in our life or these several things in our lives that we want to change, a lot of times the, the, the core motivation for wanting to change is so I can be impressive. So that people will like me. So the, so the people will look at me fondly and say, wow. Right? Like, I wonder how much of our lives are lived just trying to get a wow out of other people. So sometimes we change to impress others. 
And we, and we really want to change because we're afraid that if people find out what it is that we're trying to change, in other words, if they, if they find out what we're really like, then in fact we won't be impressive and they won't like us. The problem with changing to impress other people, though, is that they set the standard. They all of a sudden are in charge and they, become, they, they dictate the standard by which you are compared and so immediately, we have to, we, immediately, if you're trying to change in order to impress other people, you get caught up in a comparison game. And, and we, we'll go either one of two directions. We'll see ourselves as more righteous than other people, and so we look down on them. Or we'll see other people as far more righteous than ourselves, and so we'll look down on ourselves. And neither one of those is good or healthy. And in fact, in either direction, I would say it's a dangerous, dangerous trap. And here's, here's the other problem with actually both of these things. Uh, changing to impress God and or changing in order to impress other people simply doesn't work. Here's why. It puts you at the center of the change. And so we change in order to make myself look good. And in that way, changing is for my own glory. Are you with me now? Let me say something to you. You cannot be at the center of your own change project. And I want to, some of you are like, say what? (laughs) I want to explain that. But the core issue with trying to change in order to impress God or in order to prove myself to God or in order to impress or prove myself to other people is that ultimately I am changing for my own glory and I am at the center of it all. But to help us make sense of all of this and what a proper motivation for under for change might be, uh, I want to read Second Peter, uh, chapter one, verses three through nine. Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. Uh, you can click there on your device. You can turn there in your Bible, and it will also be up on the screen, I believe. Uh, but follow along with me as I read Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through nine. It says this. Uh, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I want to read that again. It's a pretty powerful way to start. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This, folks, is talking about a victorious Christian life. It is talking about changing some things about us. Did you catch already what is being said? His divine power has given us everything that we need. And then he goes on to say, through these precious promises, so that you may participate with him in the divine nature. It's pretty powerful words. Uh, Let's pick up at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. The proper motivation for change is this. 
the proper motivation to change is to glorify God with my life and to live into my identity in Christ. Why do I want to change? I want to change so that through my life God is glorified and that I am living more fully into my identity in Jesus Christ. I don't want to change in order to prove myself to God. I don't want to change in order to prove, in order to prove myself to others. I want to change in order to bring glory to my creator and so that I might more fully live into what is true about me in Jesus Christ. That is proper motivation for change. And in fact, this passage outlines just that. This passage and many others in the New Testament calls us to be who we are in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are free from the sin that entangles you. That's Paul's good news. That the sin that once entangled you is no longer, no longer holds you captive. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now live into that and all of its implications in our lives. And I would say that, in fact, that is what change and that is what Christian maturity is all about. It is learning to live into your new identity in Jesus Christ. That's Christian maturity. Uh, the, the process of Christian maturity, uh, the theologians have a fancy word for that. They call it holiness or sanctification. You don't know what sanctification is? Sanctification is moving more and more into our identity in Jesus Christ. This is, who is, this is who we are in Christ. This is what is true about us in Christ. Now learning to live more and more into that. That's Christian maturity. I, wanna, I want you to look again, though, at the first part of this passage that I highlighted a couple of times. That we don't need anything in order to live well. He says, uh, he says to us, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That what you need for a godly life is already yours in Jesus Christ. You already possess it. We don't need anything new in order to live well because we already have what we need. Amen? And so when you have placed your faith in Christ, you received everything you need to live faithfully for Jesus Christ, to live faithfully in Jesus Christ, to live victoriously in Jesus Christ. And since you don't need anything new, we are then invited in this passage to come alongside of God's work in our life through our own personal involvement. That's the whole part about add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to that mutual uh, affection, to mutual affection love. All of these things is our own personal involvement in the work of God in our lives, bringing about more and more change in us so that we are more and more living into what is true of us already in Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? And so it's simultaneously something that God does in us, but at the very same time, he's inviting us in. There's a personal involvement to God's own work in your life. Now, make no mistake, it's God's work. But we have a personal involvement in it. In fact, he uses the word effort. Make every effort to add to faith, goodness, and knowledge, and self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and mutual affection, and love. And we might be tempted to think, oh, great, here's another list in the Bible that I can't live up to. Here's the thing, though. God is the source of all of those things. And so the encouragement to add those things to your life is, an, is in fact an encouragement to live into your identity in Jesus Christ. Your identity in Jesus Christ is that those things are already true of you. 
What the writer here is saying is just inviting us into that. Does this make sense? Those things are already yours in Jesus Christ. And do you want to know how I know? Because of verse 9. Verse 9 says, Whoever does not have them, that is related to this list of qualities, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Well, that's pretty mean. Why are they like that? Well, because they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, any time that these things that we possess and are already ours in Jesus Christ are not being lived out in our lives, it's because we've had a moment where we forgot our true identity in Christ. That these things are already mine. I already possess them. And if I'm not living those out, then I have forgotten my identity in Jesus Christ. And so this passage works as an encouragement to say, Remember who you are in Jesus. Remember what is yours in Jesus. You need to show some mutual affection to that coworker, and it's a hard, right? Because they are annoying. And they're always coming by. You're trying to get work done, and they come by your desk, and it's just more jabber, jabber, jabber about who knows what, and you don't want to listen. I thought I'd get an amen, but that's okay. Right? You need to show some mutual affection, and it's difficult, but it's just a matter of reminding ourselves, in Jesus Christ, I have available to me already to do this. It is already mine in Christ. Knowledge is already mine in Christ. It's already mine in Christ. It's already mine in Christ. And so we we participate in these things by gathering with the community, by praying, by connecting with God on a personal level, by doing all of these things. Uh, we, we, We grow in those. That's our personal sort of involvement. But man, those things are already ours in Christ. And God is calling us more and more into those things to live more and more into that. And so anytime that we fail to do this, it's because we have forgotten our new identity in Christ. We have forgotten that we have been cleansed by our uh, from our past sins and so my prayer for each of us is that our motivation for change would not be our desire to impress but it would rather be a desire to honor God with our lives and live faithfully into our identity in Jesus Christ and to live with sort of a, a remembrance a constant reminding of this is who I am in Jesus Christ and sometimes to do that you got to preach to yourself right when you are facing temptation, when you're in a relationship, whenever, when you need to learn these things about who you are, you just preach to yourself and you say, in Jesus Christ, I don't have to do this. I have power to overcome this. And so we just preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves. And so I believe that the first principle of change is this. True change happens when our motivation to change is to glorify God and live into our identity in Christ. And so maybe the first, maybe the first step in, in your change project might be to simply pray, God, would you help me to make sure that my motivations are pure? God, I, I want to change this part of who I am, this, this, this thing about me, this, this habit, this mindset, this attitude, um, this addiction. 
I want to change this. But before I just start asking you to take it away, maybe we should ask God to just do a check on our motivation. Because if we're just trying to change to impress others, guess what? Others at some point will deem you non-impressive or unimpressive. Get my English right. And if we're just trying to change to impress God, God is saying, oh, but I already love you unconditionally. And all I want for you is to live for my glory. God, isn't, God is not holding a scale of your life and then at some point will deem you worthy of his love. God has already demonstrated you are more than worthy when he sent his son to the cross. So the first thing we need to do is just to say, God, make sure my motivations are right. I want to I change so that you can be glorified through my life and so that I can then live more and more into my identity in Christ. And guess what? When we live more faithfully into our identity in Christ then that has all kinds of personal benefit, right? But it also has all kinds of benefits to those around us and in relationship with us. And so what it ultimately does is it takes us out of the center of our change project and makes our change project God-oriented and others-oriented. And what we find throughout the gospel over and over and over and over and over again is that Jesus is trying to fundamentally change the position of our heart from self to others. And so even when it comes to how we change, that needs to be oriented toward others and oriented toward God. Um, I want to share just a couple more thoughts before we close this morning's message. Uh, the first thing I want to share, and these are just sort of like an, uh, an addition or an add-on as we kind of think about a foundation for the series. Uh, change has a bad reputation, as in people don't like it. <laughs> change is hard, right? Um, if I had come in here and all of the seats would have been facing one another and I would have been preaching from the middle aisle here, you guys would have hated that. Because it's change, and it's different, right? So change really has a bad reputation. Uh, but I, want to, I just want to say, as we talk about principles of change, that change is a joy, not drudgery. Change is a joy, not drudgery. Uh, true joy is found in knowing and serving God. Uh, and so when we live more and more into our identity in Christ, and we do that for his glory, uh, we are becoming our true selves, let me personalize that a little bit. When you live more and more into your identity in Christ for his glory, then you are becoming your true self. You're becoming who you actually are designed to be. And that is not drudgery. That is joy to live into who we were designed to be. In fact, I would say that so much of our struggle comes from trying to find joy from sources that cannot provide it. And thus, changing for God's glory is not drudgery, it is joy. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it will always be easy. It will likely require sacrifice. There will likely be hard times in the process of change. Uh, but it is to bring about your true self in Jesus 
And so we shouldn't see it as drudgery, but rather see it as joy. Uh, Real quickly, the second thing I want to mention is that changing is something that God gives us. It is not an achievement that we give him. If we see our change as an an achievement that we give him, we have fallen right back into the process of we're changing so that we can prove ourselves to God and earn his love or earn his blessing or or something else. Uh, But we really just need to recognize that change is something that God gives to you. It is not an achievement that we give to God. And so let's be clear about the change. God does the work and we participate in it. But God is doing the work. And we must see godly change uh, we, we must see the godly change we experience in life as a gift that has been given to us by God. It is simply not a trophy of achievement uh, that we offer to him. And so my challenge to you this week uh, is to think about, first of all, if, if you're here today and, and we've been talking about principles of change and you're not sure what it is in your life that you want to change or you haven't really narrowed down maybe on one uh, thing, uh, then this week think about what you want to change And then really take some time to reflect on why you want to change, on why you want to change. Is there any motivation in your heart that is pointing pointing you toward, you just want to change to impress God or to impress others? And then really ask God to purify your motivations so that we can come to uh, next week and begin to ask our next question, but having had, had some time for God to really purify our motivations and make sure that we're changing so that God's being glorified in and through our lives. And I would just, I would just uh, um, speak over you that, that I hope that God will speak to you uh, and form you into his likeness for his glory.